0: Episode 47 – What is Purgatory? Today is November 2nd, where we commemorate the souls of all the faithful departed, that is, those who have left this world and are still being purified before their entrance into heaven. The doctrine of purgatory is one that is denied by most other Christian denominations, but is held by Catholics because of a number of reasons, mainly because of the words of Scripture, but of course also according to the tradition of the Church. But before we get to those, let's see if we can work through the reasons why it just makes sense that there would be a purgatory. Consider the various circumstances in which people leave this world. You have those that are uh, very saintly, who most likely go to heaven, those who have, like all of the saints, died closely united and conformed to Jesus himself. On the other hand, you have those who die rejecting God to their last breath, the unfortunate circumstance of those who are lost eternally. Think of some of the most wicked people who, though we have hope for their salvation, because there's always hope for God's mercy in any one circumstance, almost certainly there have been some, probably many, who have left this world rejecting God and hardened against His grace. But then you have another situation, which is probably the most common. Those who have died in some way united to Christ by grace, those who have lived a somewhat virtuous life, perhaps have not committed any grave sin or have not persisted in any grave sin or have repented from any grave sin, but still uh, lived a a life riddled with venial sin or still with um, many earthly attachments. In the first circumstance, it makes sense that they go to heaven upon their death. In the second circumstance, it makes sense that they go to hell upon their death. In the third circumstance, we don't easily lump them into either category. We wouldn't say that it makes sense that they enjoy this exact same lot as the saintly souls who leave this world and it doesn't seem just that they would be lost forever because of venial sins. So already even without looking at scripture or tradition, which of course are the stronger arguments for purgatory, but already we have a reason to believe that something like that would exist. That to be in the presence of God, one has to be totally pure. And not that it's some rule that God set up, but that even That we even would want to be purified entirely before being in the presence of God. Remember in the Old Testament, whenever an angel of the Lord appears or when, for example, the Israelites are standing at the foot of the mount when Moses is talking to God, they're terrified because of God's majesty and the terrible awesomeness of what was going on there. They said to Moses, hey listen, you talk to God for us. We don't don't want to be near him uh, because we're terrified. So it makes sense also that a soul would want to be purified as much as possible before entering the presence of God. Think of if you encountered one of your heroes or someone you deeply respect, or say you're going before royalty, you would take great care about your appearance. You'd want to be in the best state possible. You'd want to make sure you're all prim and proper, that you're clean, well-groomed, etc. That gives you some kind of idea of why purgatory is not only something that is required for souls, but also willed by souls that are not yet totally purified and not yet able to be in the presence of God. Well, You might ask, why is it necessary that they be purified if they've been forgiven their sins? Well, even if we've been forgiven our sins, there's still a sense of justice that needs to be fulfilled. God grants us his mercy without any question as long as we are contrite, but there's still justice required. And it's this that is exacted in purgatory. When we sin, it causes certain real-world problems. It causes a disorder in our soul. Even if we are forgiven by God's grace, there are still real effects of sin that remain both in the world around us and inside of us. I might live a long life of terrible sin and then receive God's grace through the Sacrament of Reconciliation, but that doesn't mean that everything is then righted in my soul. I still have bad inclinations. I still have earthly attachments. There's still been damage caused by my sin in the body of Christ and in the world more generally. So this is what we mean by temporal punishment due to sin. You know, it's not eternal punishment due to sin, which is what those in hell suffer, but temporal punishment due to sin, a purifying and a reordering of things according to justice, so that we might be disposed to be in the presence of God. And again, this is something that the soul wills. The souls in purgatory would not will to be freed from purgatory until their purgation, their purification is complete, because entering the presence of God is something we can only do when we are totally conformed to God and purified of even the smallest defect and stain. So now let's look at what the church teaches about purgatory and then see the foundation in scripture and tradition for this teaching. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1030, it says, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation But after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent. The tradition of the church, by reference to certain texts of scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire. As for certain lesser faults, we must believe that before the final judgment there is a purifying fire, He who is truth says that whoever utters blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will be pardoned neither in this age nor in the age to come. From this sentence we understand that certain offenses can be forgiven in this age, but certain others in the age to come. This teaching is also based on the practice of prayer for the dead, already mentioned in sacred scripture in 2 Maccabees chapter 12. Therefore, Judas Maccabeus made atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered from their sin. From the beginning, the church has honored the memory of the dead and offered prayers and suffrage for them above all the Eucharistic sacrifice, so that thus purified they may attain the beatific vision of God. If Job's sons were purified by their father's sacrifice, why would we doubt that our offerings for the dead bring them some consolation? Let us not hesitate to help those who have died to offer our prayers for them." End quote. So that's a lengthy citation from the Catechism, but I read it because it involves references to scripture and also the tradition. So you had uh, the words of Christ himself being quoted when our lord is talking about blasphemy against the holy spirit he says it will be neither pardoned in this age nor in the age to come implying that there are certain things that are forgiven in the age to come it references one of the main texts of scripture that is the foundation for the doctrine of purgatory which is second maccabees where judas maccabeus finds pagan idols under the cloaks of his dead fellow soldiers and so he offers prayers for them that they might be forgiven this even though they had already died And at the end, we had St. John Chrysostom referencing Job praying for his dead children, offering sacrifice for them. In addition to all these things quoted in that excerpt from the Catechism, we have St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 saying, "...every man's work shall be manifest, for the day of the Lord shall declare it, because it shall be revealed in fire, and the fire shall try every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire." So St. Paul is talking about a a salvation that still requires a purgation that will be saved, but by fire. So when we go to purgatory, our salvation is assured, but there are certain things that need to be purified. And this is attested to in the words of Christ, the Old Testament, and other New Testament letters. Another helpful description of purgatory is given by Frank Sheed. I've quoted him before in his book, theology for beginners. Here, it's an excerpt from his book called Map of Life, which I also highly recommend. He says, quote, Those who thus die with their wills fixed against God find their eternal abiding place instantly. But what of those whose wills are united to him? It will be remembered that here a distinction must be made. The life of Christ does not vivify every living cell in his body with equal intensity. A living member of the mystical body may have his will either totally united or partially united with God's will. In the first case, He is totally living with the life of Christ, totally possessed by him, and at death passes instantly into heaven. In the second, there still remains something of self unsubjected to God. He loves God, and his soul is indwelt by his spirit, yet imperfections remain. God holds the center of the soul, but there are, as it were, outlying regions still not completely subject to him. Upon such a man, sin still has a certain hold, and this usually in one of two ways. Either there is venial sin not repented of, or there is mortal sin, repented of yet not sufficiently." End quote. So here you have him talking about what I mentioned in the beginning, that it seems there's a middle case between the, sa- the perfectly saintly soul and the soul of the damned at the time of death. But I also wanted to mention his image of the living cell in the mystical body of Christ. This is important because the mystical body of Christ means we are united to all the states of the church, meaning the church triumphant in heaven, the church suffering in purgatory, and members of the church here on earth called the Church Militant, that all of these together form the mystical body of Christ. So we are connected to those suffering in purgatory. And this is why we can actually offer prayers and sacrifices for them, just like we can offer prayers and sacrifices for people here below still struggling. And that's what we do primarily on today, All Souls Day, is we offer prayers for those souls still being purified that we might uh, assist them in hastening their journey to heaven. This is what it means that we're all members of the body of Christ, that we can share each other's uh, burdens, so to speak, that we can offer the superabundant merits present in the celebration of the Mass, or the merits of certain good works. We can apply them to souls in purgatory as if they were their own. This is what it means that we are all connected. The The image of the mystical body of Christ is not just some nice image that, hey, we're all together in this. It's a real, profound reality that we are connected to each other and can assist each other in this spiritual way. Taking the words of, for example, St. Augustine, we can see that this was part of the tradition of the Church, even at his time, and St. Augustine lived in the 4th to 5th century, and he says, quote, "...prayers and alms of the faithful, the holy sacrifice of the altar, aid the faithful departed, and move the Lord to deal with them in mercy and kindness, and this is the practice of the universal Church handed down by the Fathers." End quote. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, even before this, says that the souls of the dead were aided, quote, while the sacred victim lay upon the altar, end quote. So it seems pretty clear in summary that there are prior reasons why we would expect something like purgatory to exist, even before we look at scripture and tradition. Then looking at scripture and tradition, we see that this is in fact a doctrine that is taught and revealed in scripture. The main opposition to it lies in disagreement about the biblical canon, the rejection of Maccabees in most Protestant Bibles. If you haven't listened to my episode on where the Bible came from and how the biblical canon differs between Catholic and Protestant Bibles, you should go listen to those episodes. But even aside from the quotation in Maccabees, we see that it's present in other, in other parts of Scripture that are accepted, for example, in the Gospels, by our Lord's words, and in the words of St. Paul and St. Peter, and in the words of the fathers of the church, the early fathers of the church. So on this All Souls Day, remember that we are connected to those poor souls suffering in purgatory, that we ought to pray for them, that their purification may be complete and they enter into eternal bliss. Also remembering that if we, by God's grace, find ourselves saved when we leave this world, but still requiring purification, we can rely on the prayers of the church here on earth to aid us. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your family and friends, and also consider becoming a member at patreon.com/slash Catholic Daily Brief. God bless.